This message is a product of Vortex Church in Albemarle, North Carolina. We thank you for engaging this conversation. Messages like this one are great resources to help us grow, but they cannot replace being a part of a local church. If you're not actively a part of a church, we encourage you to find one near you that fits you, visit it, and get involved. And we hope this message gives life to you today. Enjoy. Well, it's great to have you with us today. My name is Kevin Simmons. I'm the lead pastor. Just want to welcome all of you here um, and those who are watching over in Overflow and those who are watching online right now. Um, Today, uh, we are kind of taking a break in between two series and have a special guest that's here with us. But before I get to introducing him, I just want to make you aware of two things that are coming up. Number one, um, this evening tonight at 5 p.m. we have a very special for many of us it's our favorite thing that happens all year long it's barbecue uh, bluegrass and baptisms we're baptizing almost 20 people tonight at City Lake Park super excited about that I want to share their stories with you and celebrate their commitments to Jesus we've got uh, a real live bluegrass band that's going to be playing for us and We've got some pretty good barbecue for you, too. It doesn't cost anything. We're paying for it all. We just want you to be able to engage. There's some of you who are playing in disc golf tournaments. Cornhole tournament starts just a little bit before the start time. We'd love to have you join us tonight and be there for that. Um, the second thing that I want you to know about is we haven't really talked about this, but um, in, in a week, in, in just a couple days, we're hosting, uh, because of your generosity, we're able to host a guy named Reggie Dabbs. Reggie Dabbs is one of the leading high school speakers in America. Uh, he is a profound communicator of hope and and restoration. Uh, has an amazing story. And we have been able to, as a church, um, pay to bring him in. And we have got access to all four high schools in our county. And so he will be speaking at all four. And then on Tuesday, the 16th, which is a week from this Tuesday, the same day that he speaks in all those schools, he will be speaking at Albemarle High School in the auditorium. And we would love for you to come hear him. It's at 6 p.m. Now, today... Uh, We have with us one of our overseers. If you're not familiar with our church structure, we have a a group of pastors, five of them from across the country, that oversee me. They are the people that I go to when I have questions. They are the people that I lean into when I need accountability. They are the people that ask me the hard questions, that push me to get better, that come in every once in a while and just they, they get to speak to our hearts and to our journey. And in many ways, we are so much better because of them. Today, uh, we have David Payne. David uh, planted Lifesong Church in Sutton, Massachusetts. They were ranked this past year by Outreach Magazine in one of the top 25 fastest growing churches in America. He is one of the most brilliant people I've ever met. He's a phenomenal communicator of the gospel, uh, but more than that, he's just a really good friend. Um, He's the person 
that will sit across the table from you and ask you in love hard questions, point you to Jesus, and not let you fall and hold you up in the middle of the battle. I, I, I mean, how many of us just know we need friends around us like that? He's that kind of friend to me, and I want you to know that today um, I've given him just kind of open reign, speak on whatever you feel like the Lord leads you to, and so I believe he has a word for us. So would you welcome to the stage uh, my good friend, David Payne. Thank you, my friend. Love you. Love you, buddy. So I'm going to preach on sexual sin today. That's a joke, by the way. Um, when Pastor Kevin says preach on whatever you want, uh, everybody goes, oh, no, what's he going to talk about? Uh, I'm not going to talk about that. Look at the person beside you, though, and say it's time to talk back. Go ahead, tell them. Tell them it's time to talk back. So one of the things that matters a lot to me as a preacher is uh, that somebody talks back to me. If you talk back the wrong way, we'll have you escorted out. But if you talk back the right way, things will go better. I'll do better, and I won't keep you here till 3 in the afternoon. So uh, my strong advice is talk back. Everybody say, okay. Okay, good. That's awesome. So um, I'm, I'm really grateful to be here. There's a whole lot that's going through my head. The first thing is um, I saw some people come in with Yankees hats on. Where are you? Okay, ushers right there. Get that guy out of here. I'm just kidding, man. I love you. I love you. I appreciate you, but I'm a Boston guy. How many Red Sox fans do we have in here? There are more hands. Okay. How many of you could care less about either team? Okay. All right. There you go. There you go. Real life stuff. So, um, man, we're battling it out right now. 1-1 going back to your house, but it's going to be okay. We're going to have a good time over the next three games, aren't we? Yeah, okay, good. Um, but I am glad to be down here. I'm, a, I'm, I'm actually not from Boston, although that's where I live now. I'm originally from Kansas City, and, uh, and I'm really, really grateful to be down here with you guys today. Uh, a little bit about me, I've been married for 25, almost 26 years. Um, we got married when we were seven, so we're doing great. And um, we have three kids. Uh, our oldest is 24. We have a, a daughter named Ashton, and then our middle child is Kelsey. She's 21. Um, and then our youngest is 19. My son, his name's Dakota. And um, it was cool. I was having some conversations with a couple of people um, that, are, that were math people. And that's so uncommon. I don't usually talk to people who love math or getting degrees in math. But my undergrad is in mathematics. And my oldest daughter got her degree in mathematics. My middle daughter's getting her degree in mathematics. And so you can imagine what dinner is like at our house. Boring and weird. That's how we roll. So, um, but, uh, but my oldest actually is, um, is due with our first grandchild. She got married last June. And um, she and her husband, Kurt, uh, live about 15 minutes from us. And uh, she is due right, literally any moment with, uh, with our first grandchild. And so um, I, if I leave suddenly in the middle of church, my phone, I'm out of here. That's where I'm headed home. Um, she, I uh, texted Pastor Kevin earlier this week and said, bro, I hope I'm going to be able to come because my daughter's at the hospital. They're testing stuff and checking out fluid and sizes and all that kind of stuff. And sh they could end up... She could end up being induced this weekend, and if she is, I, I just, uh, good luck. I just, you have to just do, do bluegrass and barbecue in the morning because I ain't going to be there. And um, he said, it's all right. I get it. So, uh, but she's doing great. She has not gone into labor. So um, here we are. You're stuck with me. And, uh, but I'm, I am really glad to be here. As Pastor Kevin said, we've been friends for a while. And um, I just want to say this to you. I, I, I love uh, your pastor and Ke uh, Kevin and Amanda. I just Amazing family and um, amazing leadership. And one of the things that I've come to appreciate about them is, here, here's reality. I've preached in lots of places around the world and great opportunities and very grateful for them all. But not everybody says what Pastor Kevin said, and he told you that he said it. He said, I told Pastor David, listen, you just come in and preach whatever you want. You just, whatever you feel like the Lord's got, you just come and preach that. And um, I, that, that's, not a, that's not a 
bad thing. It's, it's a little bit uncommon. Um, most of the time when I get a chance to preach somewhere, the conversation is, you know, hey, we're in this series. Can you talk about something in this series? Can you preach in this series? Which is great. Nothing wrong with that. It's wonderful. But it's, it's, it's such a demonstration of trust and confidence when a pastor says, the pulpit is yours. I trust you. You bring whatever you, f- you feel like the Lord would have you share. And, he, and I'll tell you why. Because you probably look at Pastor Kevin or me or other preachers and think, well, that's what they do. They're, they've got this gift to speak or whatever it is, and they go and speak. But when a pastor says, come and just bring whatever the Lord would have you bring, there's a weightiness to that that any pastor worth their salt, whether it's him or me or anybody else, kind of shakes a little bit in their boots. Says, okay, this is not just go, you know, kind of put together a, a 25-minute message. This is... I, a pastor saying, please bring what you think the Lord would want to speak through you to our church. And there's a weightiness to that. And so uh, I, I'm grateful, Kevin, for your trust. Grateful that you would allow me to be here. I'm, I'm proud of what you and Amanda are doing, leading your team, leading this church, what you guys are doing here in, in Abermarl and the surrounding area. A church of this size and a city of this size is unbelievable. About two and a half percent of the population. It's amazing how God's using you. And, uh, and I'm proud of you and uh, proud of your sacrifice. Y'all, I know you know it, but there's a whole lot you don't know that goes into to laying down your life to build a local church. It's a big deal, and so I'm grateful. Thank you for letting me be here. Can you guys give your pastor and his wife a great big hand? Come on. Don't you love Kevin and Amanda? They're awesome. Um, so today we're going to talk about uh, this, this kind of idea in Exodus 17. I want to give you some stuff out of Exodus 17. If you have your Bible, I hope you do, uh, open it up to Exodus 17. We're going to read a lot there together. There won't be any scripture on the screen if you're used to that. Um, today you got to get in your own Bible, open up your own phone, whatever. We're going to read it together here in just a minute. And um, we're, we, we believe, I believe in our church, we ought to talk about this, that people who take notes are going to heaven, people who don't are going to hell. So I just want to encourage you to go to heaven today. Um, grab your notes. If you don't have something to write on, if you didn't grab something on the way in, write on your neighbor's arm, take a picture of it. They can clean up later. And, um, and we'll, we'll have some stuff to reflect on. So here's kind of the backstory uh, in, in Exodus. So you're, you're hopefully in Exodus 17. And um, here's kind of what's happened in the background. So the, the journey that's taken place, some of you know this, but some of you may, may be familiar. Maybe this is your first time at Vortex. Maybe it's your first time in church. Maybe you haven't been to church in a long time. Or maybe you went to a church, you didn't learn a whole lot, and that's okay, but you're, you're discovering. And so I want to give you a little bit of a backstory. So basically what we've got in the book of Exodus is there's been the, this journey. The Israelites, who are the, the people of Israel that God has chosen, have been taken captive, and uh, they are, have been enslaved in the nation of Egypt. Now God promised them deliverance from their, cap, from their captor, But they've been enslaved for some time, 430 years from the time of enslavement to the time of deliverance. And so in that journey, Moses is a guy who's an Israelite. He gets found in a a river, and, and he gets raised. He's an Israelite, but he gets raised in the house of the king or the Pharaoh of Egypt. And so he's brought up in this in this house with servants and with opulence and with provision and with protection, with every open door and every opportunity he gets at all, he's raised just like a son of the Pharaoh. And he has all this opportunity, but he gets up to a certain age and there's a moment of anger and bad things happening between a guard and some Israelites and he ends up killing a guy and it's a bad deal and he's overwhelmed by it and he, he ends up leaving and fleeing Egypt and he spends some time away from Egypt where God deals with him and his relationship with the, the God of the Israelites, Yahweh, Jehovah, g- sends him back to Egypt as their deliverer. And so Moses returns to Egypt, and he goes back to the house where he was raised in this opulent palace. And he goes to Pharaoh, and he basically says, I want you to let my people go. 
And you may have seen a movie about it. Some of them are better than others. There have been a few. But that's, that's the backstory to what I want to talk about. When Moses returns to Pharaoh's house, he returns to a place he was raised, to a people where he was known, an outcast from, frankly, both groups when he returns. The Israelites don't claim him. The Egyptians don't claim him. But he returns to, to Egypt, to the Pharaoh's house, and he carries in his hand a staff. The staff that he's carrying is probably six feet, seven feet tall. It's a lengthy staff. And he returns and he comes back. And you can imagine there's some kind of confusion that's going on as he walks back in. There's a, wait a minute, you're back? And, and, and the memory of what he did bubbles up. And there, there's this tension, are you home or, or, or why are you here? Do you need to pay a price for what you did? Why are you here? And Moses comes back in. He goes to Pharaoh. He comes and tells him, basically, God has sent me to deliver the Israelites. You need to free them and release them from their slavery. Now, I want you to remember for a moment. He doesn't say this out on the patio with all the million Israelites gathered around to hear. He says it in a private room, a, a palace courtroom where there's a Pharaoh and some, some family members and some high-leading officials and some servants, maybe a few Israelite servants because they're all slaves. Maybe somehow there are a few of them in the palace serving. It's not a huge crowd. It's a small crowd. But Moses approaches Pharaoh in his, on his turf in his power, and says, God, the God of the Israelites has told me, you need to let them go. And there's a moment of conflict. And in that moment, Pharaoh says, you know, how dare you? Who are you? And, and God tells Moses to demonstrate the power of God by laying down his staff. And if you know the story, you know what's about to happen. But for those who don't, how many in here like snakes? Anybody in here like snakes? No, okay. How many of you hate them? How many of you think that God made a mistake? In that creation. Okay, a few of you. My wife absolutely hates them. She like freaks out about any snake, just freaks out about them. We moved into a house 12 years ago and we planted the church. And there's a little baby snake, maybe six, eight inches long in the middle of the driveway. And she hopped up on the hood of the car and was like, sell the house. We're out of here. I'm like, it's, it's really, it's like just barely bigger than a worm. I think we're okay. She hates them. I hate them. Most of us hate them. But Moses stands before Pharaoh, an area of the world where there are some awfully poisonous snakes. And God tells him, lay down the staff. And Moses, who's holding on to this staff, walks up basically and puts it down on the ground. As he places it on the ground, God transforms the staff into a snake. A six or seven foot snake, much like the length of the staff was. And you can imagine Moses and others doing what my wife did. They're up on the roof of the car. They're up on, some, they're out of the way because this is crazy. Number one, that it would happen. And number two, what it became. And then God speaks to Moses and says, go ahead and pick it up by the tail. And Moses reaches down and grabs it, which is insane to me. I don't know what he was smoking, but nonetheless, he grabbed the snake, picked it up, and it became the staff again. And Scripture tells us in Exodus chapter 4 that God said to Moses, I'm doing this so that you and they both know and have a tangible, visible evidence of my mighty outstretched arm, that what I am capable of is beyond that which they can understand or imagine. I am the living God, and I am, and you sang about it today in worship, the one full of all power to deliver. So he picks up the staff, and you would think that after that display, the Pharaoh would say, of course, well, in light of that, go ahead. But he doesn't, and a battle ensues between them, and You'll remember, probably, even if you don't know the, the scripture, you know the story that there were ten plagues that were unleashed, including the killing of the firstborn son. And in that, there was a moment where Moses takes that same staff and touches the Nile, and the Nile becomes red like blood. The staff became the visible, tangible evidence of the power of God for people to put their eyes upon. 
And whenever that staff was used in the way God directed, because it was his power at work, mighty things happened. In fact, it was after the plagues that the Pharaoh says to Moses, I'm done with this. Just get out and take everybody with you. And the Israelites gather up all this plunder and million plus Israelites march their way out of Egypt to the Red Sea. At which point, Moses takes that same staff and it says that he walks out into the water and puts his staff down. And when the staff touched the water, the water splits before them and the Israelites walked across, Scripture says, on dry ground. And then, of course, we know it crashed in around all those. It's amazing stories, but the key that I want you to, to, to focus on for a minute is the staff. Because as we watch the journey of the Israelites out of Egypt and into the wilderness, and as they went around, consistently there were some challenges with the Israelites. One of them was their desire to return to a place of comfort in Egypt. But in, in almost every case, Moses had some conversation or conflict with them or with the Lord. And co they come to a moment in Exodus 17. And I want to read it with you together. And if you don't have the backstory, you don't know the importance of the staff and how God it used, ha has used it, you'll miss some things in Exodus 17. So we're going to read it together. I'm going to begin reading in verse 1 of Exodus 17 out of the New Living Translation. It says this. It says, and the Lord's at the Lord's command... The whole community of Israel left the wilderness of sin. What an awful place to lead somebody. The wilderness of sin. And they moved from place to place. Eventually they camped at Rephidim, but there was no water there for the people to drink. So once more the people complained against Moses. Give us water to drink, they demanded. Quiet, Moses replied. Why are you complaining against me and why are you testing the Lord? But tormented by thirst, they continued to argue with Moses. Why did you bring us out of Egypt? Are you trying to kill us, our children, and our livestock with thirst? Then Moses cried out to the Lord, What should I do with these people? They are ready to stone me. The Lord said to Moses, Walk out in front of the people. Take your staff, the one you used when you struck the water of the Nile, and call some of the elders of Israel to join you. I will stand before you on the rock at Mount Sinai. Strike the rock, and water will come gushing out. Then the people will be able to drink. So Moses struck the rock as he was told, and water gushed out as the elders looked on. And Moses named the place Massa, which means test, and Meribah, which means arguing, because the people of Israel argued with Moses and tested the Lord by saying, is the Lord here with us or not? So we have a tangible moment where the, the outstretched hand of God, the staff, is used to provide something that the people need. Now, I, I don't know about you, but in this portion of scripture, I, I picture Moses kind of figuring out how to hold the staff more like a baseball bat. And as people continued to complain, I'm sure he was saying, Lord, Lord, I want to strike something, but it ain't a rock. Because their mouth is getting to me. Their belly aching is getting old. Everything we do is a problem. They're never satisfied. There's no contentment. They actually tell Moses, we, it would be better for us to go back to Egypt. At least we were, were well fed and had something to drink. But Moses does Exactly what the Lord directs him, and the Lord manifests the provision that they need. Verse 8, it says, Now while the people of Israel were still at Rephidim, the warriors of Amalek attacked them. And Moses commanded Joshua, Choose some men to go out and fight the army of Amalek for us. Tomorrow I will stand at the top of the hill, holding the staff of God in my hand. And so Joshua did what Moses had commanded and fought the army of Amalek. Meanwhile, Moses, Aaron, and Hur climbed to the top of a nearby hill. And as long as Moses held up the staff in his hand, the Israelites had the advantage. But whenever he dropped his hand, the Amalekites gained the advantage. I'm going to pause there. I want you to write down this big idea. This is kind of your big idea for our conversation for the next few minutes. What is lifted up is what gets recognized. What is lifted up 
is what gets recognized. In other words, the thing that is made the most visible is the thing that gets the recognition. In other words, what should be recognized should be the thing we make most visible. But there's a trap that we battle in our humanity all the time, and I think the Israelites battled it too. I don't know if Moses did, but I think the people did. The trap that we bump up against is this. We've, we fight sometimes to raise our own champion's banner of accomplishment. Now look at, the, look at the person beside you and say, you're not all that. Go ahead and tell them. Say, you're not all that. Come on, y'all can do better than that. Say it like you mean it. You're not all that. Give them a little attitude when you say it. You're not all that. Here, here's a reality. The reality is that everything in the world around us, the culture we're in, the place you live right here in Abermall is that you are to make yourself the champion the famous one. You're the one who's supposed to be lifted up. Your name, David's name is supposed to be the one that gets credit. In, in, in fact, my own strength will lead to my own not only deliverance, but validation and recognition. And so we battle all the time against the, I need to fight hard to achieve, to compete, to overcome, to fight a battle. And if I am successful, whatever the thing is, what I tend to do is say, is look in the mirror. And instead of saying, you're not all that, I look in the mirror and go, yeah, you're all that. You did a great job. You should be proud of you, David. At the end of the day, the person that gets the most visibility is not actually the one who fought the battle for real or, or made the battle's outcome possible, but the one who I see in the mirror, which is me. And the story of Moses and the story of the staff is important because there's a name that God is given in this passage. It's the name Jehovah Nisi, and it means the banner of God. It means the, 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 his, he is a banner to be lifted up, and it's what we see in the second part of the story. And so I want to give you three things about this because here's what I believe. As I was thinking about Vortex and had heard a little bit about what Pastor Kevin had shared with me, the, the series you just came through, where your church is going, what's out on the horizon, next steps for Vortex. I thought to myself, man, that's exciting. I can imagine the day when, when some of those things come to pass, the next facility or another campus or, or another theater, all those kind of things. As they come to pass, the risk is that we can feel, you can feel, Pastor Kevin can feel, like somehow he's the one or somehow you're the one who should be recognized for the outcome of the battle to get to the other side of whatever that thing is. And beyond that for your church, you and your household, husband, wife, kids, whatever it is, are wrestling and fighting some things. It could be a career issue, it could be a marital challenge, you could have kids that are messed up, maybe you have parents that are messed up. There's something significant, we all have it, all of us have it. You're not alone in it. But we can often view the battle that we're in as something we're the one to overcome. And I think there are three key principles in Exodus 17 that will help you and will help me. So I want you to write this down. God completes every battle with us, not just for us. God completes every battle with us, not just for us. And I, and, and I just think that for many of us, I, this is true of me, that most of the time when I'm praying about something difficult, my request of God is that he do something in a supernatural, miraculous way that requires nothing of me. I, I don't know if that's true of you. Maybe it's my own weak spiritual maturity. But all the time my prayer is, God, would you just do X? Would you just do? I rarely think to pray, God, would you 
Help me keep my eyes on you as I do all I can in your strength. But scripture says that, that God was at work while they were at work. That God wasn't absent from the journey, nor was he doing what needed to be done absent them. There was a cooperativeness, a partnership that took place. In fact, as we read about the Amalekites, there was a time earlier in the Israelites' journey where the Amalekites attacked the Israelites. God is not forgetful of that. And when they come to take advantage of their weak and weary state on the backside of their deliverance from, from Egypt, God says, I am going to be in the middle of this with you. I am neither going to leave you to do it alone, nor am I going to do it for you. And I want you to understand something, that the most valuable thing to remember in the battle, in the fight for whatever the thing is, is not only that you're not in it alone, but that the person that is in it with you is the one who strengthens you to get through it anyway. You can't get through it, and if you did do it on your own, you'd look in the mirror and say, yeah, I'm all that. And it's a good thing that God doesn't leave us there to fight it on our own. In fact, the way that this battle takes place, as we read, is that the Amalekites are on the battlefield, and they come to fight the Israelites. Now, there's a million plus of them. Some estimates are as high as two million. There's a whole lot of Israelites in the middle of the field. And I would imagine the women and the children are trying to make their way to the back. They're off to the sides trying to stay out of the battle, and, and, and the warriors, the men, let's say, are, are out trying to defend the people. And Scripture says that the Lord gives Moses direction. Says, you are to go do this, and Joshua, you are to go and fight the battle. And Moses says, you know, go and fight the battle. I'm going over here. And, and Moses goes and climbs up the mountain to a place where he can make something visible. He gets before the people of Israel, and he takes the staff that's in his hand, and it says that he elevates the staff to be the thing above all else. The mighty outstretched power of God, the banner of God is the visible reality in the middle of the battle despite the present enemy. And I just, I just was thinking about this. How many times in the middle of the battle that you face and that I face do I find myself focused on the enemy instead of on the deliverer? How much do I find myself looking at the, 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 my boss or my spouse or the situation as my enemy? And all of my attention is on how to combat it instead of recognizing that the ability to complete the battle lies in the place that my eyes are. And in fact, what is lifted up before me. Write this second thing down. It's this. Our intercession for his, that is God's elevation, is what yields God's intervention. The intervention of God is our invitation and intercession that he would be made famous through the deliverance from the battle we're in. See, Moses went up to intercede on the mountain so that God would be busy doing intervention in the valley. There was no place for God to be visible amongst the people in the middle of the valley. They had to get their eyes above the enemy to see what was lifted up before him. That the, battle, the banner of God, Jehovah Nisi, would be visible. The mighty outstretched hand of God, visible through the staff that had become the serpent and parted the, 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 the Red Sea and turned the Nile to blood, was now that thing that my eyes were focused on. That though my enemies stand in front of me, that is my deliverer. And it's only when we are busy trying to elevate what's most important, the name of Jesus, that we'll find our capacity to feel his strength in the middle of the battle. The problem with that is we can find ourselves trying to do it all by yourself. 
We can find ourselves trying to walk through it, find God in the middle of it, elevate Jesus despite what's going on in our mind or in our spirit all alone. And it's not, it's not only not healthy, it's actually problematic for being able to make God the most visible because the only voice in discerning the difference between making myself visible and making God visible is my own. And I have a tendency to have my own voice say whatever I want my own voice to say. And so here's the third thing I want you to write down today. It's this. His banner and his power, that is the Lord's, manifest in the middle of community. His banner and his power manifest in the middle of community. Proverbs chapter 21 verse 31 says, The horse is made ready for the day of battle, but victory rests with the Lord. You remember in the story says that God gives direction to Joshua and gives direction to Moses. And we'll pick up the story in verse 12. Exodus 17, verse 12 says this. It says, And Moses' arms soon became so tired that he could no longer hold them up. He climbed up a mountain so he could make the banner of God, the staff, visible to the people of God. But though his desire to make God great and make God visible and make the banner, Jehovah Nisi, God's strength, the thing that they were focused on, though he was desirous of it, in his humanity, his arms got weak. It says, so Aaron and Hur went and found a stone for him to sit on. And then they stood on each side of Moses, holding up his hands. So his hands held steady until sunset. It said to us that every time the staff went up, the tide turned in their favor. Every time the name of Jesus, Jehovah Nisi, the staff was visible, they began to take ground. And every time it dropped, they began to lose ground. So Moses climbed up on the mountain, but his arms were tired. And Aaron and Hur stood beside him and held up his hands. So they would stay steady. And as a result, Joshua overwhelmed the army of the Amalekites. Here's what I want you to to hear. The ability for you, the ability for me, to get through to the other side of whatever the thing is, and there's always a thing, is not just based on our ability to have the name of Jesus, the power of God made most elevated and most visible not my own strength or my own capacity but that there are going to be moments when I'm weary and when I'm weary and I feel like relying on my own strength and doing it on my own the desperation that I feel in my own weakness will only be solved if I've allowed others to be close and in the middle of what you're going through you you face it just like I do you you have moments where you're like oh my gosh what am I going to do and you retreat from community and you pull away and you kind of hunker down and think I'm going to fight my way through this I just want you to understand something that that getting through the battle is not based on your ability to do it or even to do it alone it's based on who you have around you that can help you be sure that the right thing is elevated during the battle you can't do it alone And you may be sitting in here, and it may be normal where you are in this part of the world. I can tell you it's certainly normal where I am. That everybody wants to be independent. I can do it on my own. I can solve it on my own. I can overcome anything. I can make my own way. There's a huge independence that that is present in in, in the area that I live. And maybe it's true here too. And 
I just want to say to you that the ability to not only keep your eyes on Jesus more than they're on you, but even the ability to keep strength in the middle of the battle is based on having some people alongside you that can hold your arms up when you want to drop it. I was thinking about it in worship today while you were worshiping. I, I, I love to worship. I was a worship leader for uh, the first few years of our church's launch. And, you know, there's Sundays where we're worshiping and, and I'm just glorifying God, singing, and, and two songs in, and I'm just like, ooh, my arms are tired. My arms are tired. I can't imagine what it must have felt like for Moses to stand there for the day and know that the ability for the Israelites to overcome their enemy rested in his ability to keep the banner of the name of Jesus the most visible thing. You need some people around you where the battle will become overwhelming, not just tiring. And so today, I want to pray for you a little bit because I think there are some things that you're dealing with that that you need somebody to come alongside and help you through. You need to maybe refocus your attention off of your own strength or resume or power or intellect and get it back on Jehovah Nisi. God is my banner that I can look at. And then thirdly, you need to be able to be sure that you are not expecting God to do it without your participation, but to give you the strength to do it so that he can walk through the battle with you. Would you stand to your feet? Let me pray for you a little bit today. Thanks for listening. This podcast has been a production of Vortex Church in Albemarle, North Carolina. For more information on our church, we encourage you to visit us online at vortexchurch.com.